Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, we're chatting with celebrated screenwriter, playwright, and TV creator showrunner, Dustin Lance Black. Hi. Uh, Lance is an Oscar-winning writer-director known for writing films like Milk and J. Edgar, in addition to creating the award-winning 2022 crime miniseries Under the Banner of Heaven, starring Andrew Garfield. Lance is a fierce LGBTQ rights advocate, serving as a founding board member of the American Foundation for Equal Rights and writing eight, a courtroom drama reenacting the overturn of Prop 8 in California. Hello, Lance. Hello. Hi, how are y'all? Good, it's so good to see you. Yeah, good to see you, good to hear you. I wish I was over there where, you know, it's not raining constantly. Uh, My husband keeps reminding me it is January. It is supposed to be cold, but I was raised in places where it's never cold. And so (laughs) I'm looking at the sun pouring in early in the morning there and I'm jealous. Well, this is our first day of non-rain in a while. So it's very nice for us too. Yeah, Not, not the same, to be clear. Not the same. So before we get to our chat with Lance, um, we have a regular weekly uh, adventures in screenwriting where we talk about our week. And I believe, Lance, you're willing to share with us. We'll let Lorian go first. Lorian, how was your week? My week was actually great, which is a turn from how it usually is where I complain about my mental health. But um, this week, I've just been heads down writing, 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 and I realized how hard it is on my body. Um, I woke up this morning and my neck was like, cause I've been hunching over my laptop for days. So I just remembered how important it is to take care of myself. And that what I should be doing is writing my Peloton and going for a walk, but I have a deadline. So I'm going to go right back into it. But um, it feels great to finally be in the flow of something, to be excited about something, to write something down, to walk away and then realize, oh, that's what that is. Like to trust myself that I might not know what I'm laying down, but that it does have meaning and it connects to the bigger picture um, instead of being riddled with self-doubt and being f- frozen. So um, that's really, I just am really excited about it. It feels really great because times like this don't happen all the time. So um, I just like, it, I'm I'm in a happy place with my writing um, and that feels great. And then that sort of like extends out to my family and, and other things. So for the first time in a very long time, I'm actually feeling a little optimistic about the future, wow. which is very exciting. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I know. Can I have a little bit of that? Can I have a serving of that? Yes. Like just a little slice. I also started a new medication for my ADHD. So that could probably be a little bit of it, but you know. I was going to try not to mention my ADHD today, but there we are. I did it anyway. No, my husband has it, and it's all he freaking talks about. So you're in good company. <laughs> Great. That was it. That was my only mention. Yeah. So that was my week, um, and uh, I'm I'm feeling pretty good. So now that I said that, we'll see what fuckery happens today. Uh, um, anyway, Lance, Lance how, how was your week? week? Not that good. If you have any flow to spare, I'll take it. Um, the... Uh, you know, I, I right now I'm in the very, very early 
days of a new TV series. And so uh, we've been sent off to outline a pilot episode uh, or the first episode. I don't think they shoot pilots anymore. Um, and, uh, and instead of really just kind of digging in and starting to play, I decided I would just lay out all the slug lines in some sort of an order as if that's helping. So it all kind of lives in my head, um, is what I tell myself, but truly I'm just, I, I have a fear of commitment and I will not type what happens in any given scene, but I know where they're going to happen. Um, uh, so it, it, I'm being a, um, I'm being a chicken shit. Uh, this week, and <laughs> and I have not thrown myself into it, and so I don't even know if there's any flow to go. I don't. I have no idea. Um, and then the the thing that I'm doing on the serious side to try and get to a place where I I have uh, the the cur I have this feeling like if you can create space, like whether that's time or a place or a sound, whatever that is for you creatively, a walk. If you can create space, you, you find the kind of courage because it feels fun again instead of terrifying. And uh, and so I'm, I, I at a certain point yesterday um, said, you know what, Lance, you got to just get this documentary project off your plate. And so I, I went and, and worked on that all day in the edit room with the editor um, in an attempt to just make some space and hoping that space creates uh, sort of that what you were just describing which is that that sort of fun courage of creativity where you forget that someone's going to read this and perhaps judge it later which you need and that space once you create it does need boundaries because you know space creates people things will jump in try to jump in to take it i find so even once oh, I, yeah. space, I have to be like no 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 uh no because this is a sacred space now for this project why do you think i'm uh, for you, commitment is so like, is it that you're afraid once you commit to something, you'll have to really, I know for myself, I'll just speak for myself. Once I commit to something and write it down, now I get to see how, what doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. It's in my head. It still all works. Like, is there, a, do you have any sense of, of that? No, it's, it's true. It's, I mean, getting it down is, is step one. I think, um, it, it, and, and certainly I agree with you. Like I, I am, not the kind of writer who gets it right the first time or the 10th time or the 20th time, you know, it's always in flux and it, it's grow Hopefully it's growing um, in, in those different iterations. The, for me, I, it's, I think the fear is about knowing I have too much on my mind, too many other things pressing in. And so I'm going to, do what I've done in the past, and I'm going to fall back onto tropes. I'm going to fall back onto things I've seen, and and because I'm not in like a truly creative space yet, I'm in a let's get it done space. And um, and so I think as I was laying out all those slug lines, and and though that was, by the way, better than doing nothing. At least I'm typing and tapping keys, and it's it's you know there there is a little room being created in my head for it. Uh, but I was well aware that, like you just said, Meg, I hadn't created that sacred space. I haven't created it yet. I mean, I just started yesterday, so I'm going to give myself a little slack. I think, but, yeah, I think yeah. you, I think you, but, you have until tomorrow. Go. But I, I got to kick that documentary <laughs> out of my sacred space because, you know. Do you find, I have a question about that. Like, do you find you really focus in on, you know, we all have multiple projects going on at the same time. Yeah. Do you find that it's helpful when you like do a chunk of each one a day or just monofocus on one? I used to be so good at like going from 
uh, like I was on a TV show for six years and it was a, you know, it was great. It was a fun writer's room, awesome writers. That meant it was taxing in a really good creative way each day. And somehow I was able to do that for eight to 12 hours up in Santa Clarita, get in the car, go like have a little run or go to the gym and come home. And, and I wrote two features in those years as well that got made. I can't do that anymore. I'm not in my twenties anymore. <laughs> you also have a child. And I yes. have a child. Um, yes. And so I've, uh, I've found now to get back to that kind of really vibrant, creative, fun uh, energy. And to me, even when I'm writing really dark or political stuff, I better be having fun because um, otherwise it's not alive. That's always been my feeling. I know other people work differently. To, to have that now, I need to do one at a time. I can't um, move between at least scripted projects the way I used to. I mean, if I have to, I will. Um, and I'll do what I need to do to do that. I'll go meditate or something. Um, it's not so much hiking, you know, a mountain anymore. Um, it's a more chill kind of thing that comes between um, projects. And we have to do that. You know, you, you might be shooting a show that needs a little rewrite and you have another thing going at the same time. But ideally, ideally, you, you sort of park one or get it to a place where someone else is dealing with it for a while, whether that's, you know, it's going into color or vis effects or mix or something, and you got a free week or something. And then, uh, and then I move forward, uh, you know, because I have found that there's some sneaky person on Twitter, like five, 10 years ago, who went and found any line I'd written that was at all similar between a movie and a TV show, especially the ones that I was doing concurrently. And they, they oh busted God. me. Yeah, they busted me. There's like oh a line God. in Big Love that is almost identical to a line in Milk. And I never would have caught it, but there it is. Um, people, uh, people, get a life. Like, I'm sorry, what is that about? Oh my God. There's only so many words so. in so many orders. Well, and that's kind of affirming in some ways to me. Like it's a, it's your personal thematic, right? Like in some ways, the same stuff always shows up in our work over and over again, I think. I don't know. Would you write to this person on Twitter and explain that to them? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll hop in, yeah. I will get on that Twitter feed. It yeah. was a, I would call it lazy, but it was, I mean, it was similar themes and things, but I, I realized how they were influencing each other and, and it didn't need to, it didn't hurt either one uh, separately, but I did, I, you know, if I'd been working on one at a time, I probably could, could have come up with a different way of saying that. Or it's brilliant just the way it is. And what a All compliment right. that this person I'm scrolled on. through every line you've written to find that moment yeah. in each you're, of those pieces. You're such a nice person. You're so optimistic. See? I'm pretty Optimism. sure it's See? I'm pretty sure it's someone we had to fire out of a writer's room like 12 no, years so, ago. And they're just after so, me. Yes. Yeah. Last month's version of me would have been like, oh, that person's probably related to you and coming at you with like, you know, intention and oh yeah. So yeah. Welcome yeah. to the new me. You get to meet the new me. <laughs> I mean, I love it. It's you know good. Yeah, and people don't take that into account when they say I'm a writer, but there's lots of views. So some days yeah. it's going to be good, and some days it's not going to be good. Uh, my week, just because I'm much more interested in talking to you than talking about my week. My week was I'm back to working on weekends, um, uh, my, and it is physically taxing. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not 20, um, and it's such a big project to work at Pixar that you really can't do anything else, even when you're 
producers of your passion projects are like, are you ever coming back to work on this? I'm like, yep, probably when the Pixar panic is over, maybe, hopefully, if I'm not uh, brain dead by then. But, um, and my, the last thing I'll say is, and my kid who is a teenager, but special needs announced to a bunch of people that I love Pixar more than him because, oh no, because that's all I do is work. At oh no, Meg. It's pretty that's awesome. Not delightful. I'm so sorry. It's okay. I, you know, I just was, I didn't, he and I, I think part of him was doing it to get a rise out of me because he is still a teenager, you know, chemically, testosterone wise. He's just trying to get a rise out of me and it did work. He got oh rise. yeah. Oh my God. I, can I share a secret with you and relate yeah. a little? So my son has decided he's going to build this train track in my office here, right? The wooden train tracks. Um, and he's built this magnificent one and he's bringing all his Legos down to populate it with Lego people and Lego buildings. And it is magnificent. And he could tell, I came down here with this excitement saying, daddy's got to do a podcast. I got to close the doors. You got to leave. And the tears were instant. And he wanted to know why I like you guys more than him. Oh, so just just yeah. so you know, you're not the only one. <laughs> they, yeah, the my daughter, my daughter did that to me at the end of the weekend. She's going to be 11 really? next week. And we spent the whole day Sunday together. I mean, the whole day. And then I had to do some work at the end of the day. She's like, you're always working. I never see you. I mean, and she, you know, I'm always home because I work here. But yeah, it's the same you think thing. That's like, a particular issue for writers who work at home because I think it is confusing to children. Like, wait, you're home, but you're not with me. Like, it can be confusing, I think. But can I, um, can anyways, I, can, I, can I add that I just think it's also like looking at you at like, this might be bold to say, but it might also be that we're actually really loving good parents, writers, and we're empathetic and we like our kids a lot and we want them to be happy and they feel that and they want our love. And so they're going to get jealous because I was raised by a guy. I didn't want him around at all, ever. So the fact that yep. they want us around is kind of a, it's kind of a big deal, especially of teenagers. Crap. I'm well, pretty I'm sure my son will want like nothing that. to do with me by teenagerhood. No, they do. Yep. They say they don't, but they really do. Yeah. Teenagers, when you actually need to be home the most, because they'll say they hate you and they don't want you to be around you, but that's when they actually need you the most. Yeah. Which I know when you have a four year old, that sounds insane because you know four year olds. But um, all right, let's talk about Lance. Let's talk about Lance. Okay, so um, we always ask this question of guests because our listeners are very interested. How did you break into the business? How did you become a writer? What got you into it? Uh I. It was not a it, it was not a straight line, uh, my path. I um, I had grown up in the theater, really, up in the uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area, and and loved that. And there, but I I had a a mentor who took me through every area, so um, made wanted me to be like a Renaissance theater kid, and so it was one season. It would be props, then sets, then lights, acting one season, if you can believe it. And um, and then I finally got to writing and it was we're up in the in in sort of northern California. So everything is Steinbeck all the time. So I was hanging out with all these writers who had come in from New York summer. This is in the summer. It's like a summer stock kind of session trying to break Steinbeck into sort of new versions of these plays. And I found that really fascinating. And I found these writers really I thought they were just so smart and I couldn't understand half of what they were saying. And it was amazing. And um and so, but then I went into film school and I thought, well, I'm going to be a director. I'm going to, I'm going to make movies and things and quickly realized, well, I, 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 I don't know anyone in the business. I had just moved down to LA with my best friend and he's the only person I knew here. 
And I had no money because we grew up really broke. Um, so what am I going to do? I graduated from film school. Great. Well, now what? Uh, I'm waiting tables with my, you know, summa cum laude film degree from UCLA and going, shit. Uh, and I realized, well, I had also done a Russian and an English literature uh, a minor alongside. So I knew, and because I loved writing and I loved story, I thought, well, I should try it. I'll just give it a go. And I wrote like a little treatment for a movie. And I shared it with a friend of mine who was an actual writer writing um, television for young people. And and I said, hey, what do you think? And he said, you should go write this. Go write it. And I said, okay. So I wrote a sample and no one liked it. I did another one. <laughs> and uh, it was a little better. And it was good enough to, to, to get me into a meeting with Paris Barclay. Um, and we knew people in common. So, you know, living in LA had actually helped. And I think we were both involved in kind of queer activism and stuff. And so he read the script and he, he didn't want to make it, but he said, I have an idea to make a, a, a movie about someone who he was inspired by named Pedro Zamora, who had famously in the early nineties gone on to a show called the real world to die in front of the nation of AIDS. And Paris at that time was really interested in coming out as HIV positive because there was at that time a lot of prejudice even in the guilds around that. So he, he asked if I would do it. And that was my first job. We sold it to VH1. They, I got into the guild. They paid me uh, what at the time seemed like so much money, uh, even though it was guild minimum. I was just so pleased. And, and I, I wrote it and uh, they didn't want to make it. And, and, uh, but I had now I was in the guild and I had a job and, and the greatest sort of turn of luck as a writer was I heard a whisper that they, that HBO was going to make a Mormon show, a show about Mormons. And I said, okay. So I started digging around and found out it was about fundamentalist Mormons, which I wasn't raised that way, but I was raised Mormon. And I was pretty sure there weren't any other active writers who had grown up Mormon, who would be willing to tell all. And so I I just, I made as much noise as I possibly could to get a meeting with these showrunners, Mark Olson and Will Sheffer, who were like my dads in the business. So, um, you know, I got onto that show and that was a huge break for me. And um, and then all of a sudden I'm, I'm like a, you know, in my twenties on an HBO show, um, with hanging out with like Bill Paxton, it was unbelievable. I mean, it took a it took a long time and it took a lot of work, but it did feel like it happened fast in that way. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it came from what do you do when you love stories and you and you don't have the money to pay for film because there weren't digital cameras yet. So yeah, they was really expensive, and and writing became the thing. And I don't know if I. You know, I, I fell in love with it in a similar way to doing like the New York Times crossword puzzle, which is like, fuck you, you're ruining my weekend. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I can't, I can't quit you. Um, and, and, uh, and I really so, relate to that. Yes. Yeah. And so that's been, that's my relationship with writing um, to this day. Uh, and, and what about you know, directing? So, Do you think you're going to? I mean, I've been doing, I do a lot of directing. I just, um, I don't uh, publicize it in a big way. Like I directed, you know, um, 
under the banner of heaven when we rise. The shows I do, I I, I often end up um, directing a, a, a chunk of it. Like once it gets to the end and all the scripts are done and the drama has chilled. Um, uh, and and documentaries and things like that. So I'll probably keep doing that. I, I, I think the question I have is, will I ever direct something that someone else has written? And I don't know. That would be a very strange experience. Mm. Um, and 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 uh, it could be really fun if it was a really good script and it was laden with, um, you, you know, lots of little treasure, lots of subtext, little discoveries. You know, the things that I know live within the words on my own work that maybe a casual reader or an exec won't see. I know what I'm going to bring out, uh, but it, it could be really exciting to have those conversations with the writer and to find out where are all the little Easter eggs? Where's all the gems? What are we looking at here? And is there any yeah. more connective tissue or anything? I so maybe that. one day. I love it. I love nuance in writing. It's my favorite thing. I have yeah. been given that note. This is too nuanced. <laughs> Who gave you that note? Well, it just uh, wasn't the genre. Oh, I see. Oh, I yeah. see. I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I have a, I love your story. I have a question about that time period between when you, know, you got paid for this script and then it kind of went wah wah, right? And like that that dip in between, not moving forward with that movie and digging into Big Love. Like, what was that like for you? Because we have so many emerging writers that listen to the show who've had a success, and now we're in a place where it's sort of like, what do I do next, and how do I get out of this pit? So what was that like for you? This is going to sound like bullshit, bullshit. Uh, the, but it's not. It's, uh, it, it's awesome when you get something produced, but you're completely succeeding if you get hired. Um, and, and so, uh, and, and at that time, especially in my 20s into early 30s, I was surrounded by incredibly talented writers who were getting assignments, getting jobs or selling uh, things and they weren't getting made. But I think we all understood that we were headed that direction and we were learning and we were figuring something out and and we weren't giving up on those scripts even when they didn't get made or, or we finally saw them for what they were. And it, it's part of the process. And, and I think I understood I'm, I'm now in that process where I actually don't have to be waiting tables anymore. Um, and that's really great. Uh, that's a huge initial step. So to, to writers who are in that place right now, good for you. I mean, now you keep going. Um, I know very few, I'm trying to think if I know any, who had the very first thing that was purchased produced. I'm sure there are some, um, but uh, probably they regret it because they probably look back at it now and go, oh God, I wish that wasn't made. And, and in fact, funny enough, when we were making milk, so like six, seven years later, um, I got a phone call from a friend who was an actor who said, hey, I'm wondering if I could audition for your film. And, and I said, oh, you missed that. We're, we've been shooting for a month now in San Francisco. And he said, no, no, Pedro, the Pedro Zamora movie. And VH1 oh. dusted it off and made it. Without even tell, I never even knew it was made. I got a Writers Guild nom out of it. I, I, I just, uh, I, it just happened. So you also never kind of know, like right. they might, someone might, you know, people get fired and new people come in and they look at what's laying around and someone looked at it and said, "Why aren't we making this?" and and it did really well. So you I also mean, don't congratulations. Know. 
I guess, but I do watch it. And I, 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 well, I, I hope the filmmakers who I don't know, by the way, I wasn't involved at all, aren't, but you know, I, I don't think it was my best work. Sometimes, like, you know, when they do these, like, um, a lost play by Tennessee Williams. Mm-hmm. I have it was to lost poor, for a reason. Yeah, poor Tennessee's like, <laughs> fuck's sake, I should have burned it. Why didn't I burn it? <laughs> like, you know. I think that's such great perspective. Um, yeah, you know, I I have been making my living selling things that don't get produced. You know, yeah. and it's like I'm a professional writer. I you know I made a show last year, but it got nominated you know, for- like what was that? She got nominated for an Emmy for a show she did get made. So I just want to say. But I'm, you know, for the last better, for, you know, by the, the way, better than I, I better than I did. Okay. I didn't get I didn't get nominated for that Emmy. Andrew, Andrew Garfield did. I did not. You know, the show was nominated. This is how I count it, but. All right. No, it's Um, awesome. That's awesome. But, but I mean, it's, it is a, it's something hard that I have to deal with in terms of my ego. Like I don't have like all these shows I sold, you know, wrote the pilot. They didn't move forward. You know, I write pitches, I write pilots, they get sold like, which is great. And it's not a humble brag. It is hard though, to, to explain to other people what I'm doing here. Right. You know, because I'm not there's nothing on the screen that represents all the work I'm doing. So it is really gratifying to hear you say that, you know, that's that's the work. That's what we writers are doing, you know, no matter where you are in your career. So thank you for that. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm still writing things that don't get made. Yeah. Usually the things I love the most. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to I'm going to Meg, I'm going to say they're too nuanced. They're just too nuanced. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) Too nuanced, yeah. And Uh, my stuff is too hilarious. It's too hilarious. It's just too funny. It's just too funny. funny. No one gets it. People could hurt themselves if they watched it. Yeah. So, do you have a writing practice? I more and more so. um, Post um, Robbie coming into the world, it's a must. Uh, So I am. I'm like a, a night owl and I, you can't be a night owl with a kid. Uh, and so I've had to figure out how to find those fresh headed hours. Um, and they used to come between like 10 PM and 1 AM. Um, but I, I used to come home from a TV show and, and be able to have that at night. And now those hours, I better be in bed or the next day is a loss. Um, so I do wake up, uh, get our little one off to school now. Uh, and, and I try to not do emails, not, uh, look at social media, <laughs> not read the news and, and do a, 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 a few hours of writing. And sometimes those few hours turn into like, you know, 90 minutes. And sometimes it's like eight hours later. I'm like, Whoa, where did I go? I, I disappeared for a while into something. Um, and those are lovely days. Uh, but that's sort of my practice. I, I can't say, I don't set a stopwatch or a timer or do three hours specifically, but I do, I've heard a lot of people say a three hour rule. And I think rhythm wise, it sort of f- feels like me a little. And then my, uh, the two musts for me uh, to make sure th- I'm not just kind of regurgitating things I loved um, from other shows and other characters is have a lot of coffee um, and take walks all the time. 
And and it seems uh, that seemed coffee walks and a little chunk of time before I do any business in my brain, I at least have a fighting chance. <laughs> it doesn't always happen. Uh, yeah. What do you other? What do you get distracted by? Like, what's the irresistible thing that sucks you right out of that? Uh, the breaking news chime from BBC when it's on my phone and I, phone and I haven't <laughs> silenced it. I'm like, oh gosh, who's who died? What's going on? Right, right. Um, no, I mean, I, I am. I mean, there's, uh, yeah, family is a is is a distraction just because they're so delicious. You know, I mean, I want to go hang out, and um, and and I am an, a I'm a news junkie. I'm a politics junkie. I'm a statistics junkie. I'm a. I just want to know. You know. Yeah. So now you, uh, now you're, you've been, you know, you've written a, a memoir, a play, uh, you've created and written a TV show. So how do you approach these different mediums? Do you, is it the stories that want to be in different mediums or, you know, for you? I think so. I do it. Um, yeah. I, when, I, when there's a story. So I, I ask myself, um, is this, is this thing that's drawing me in this idea or situation or thing, something, um, a set of characters that I think can illuminate something, uh, a history, like, is this, is this about a, a thing that happened to someone or with some folks, or is this a situation? And... And if it's a situation, good for you. You're going to make a lot more money because you're going to make a television series. <laughs> and this is this is specific to me. And if and if it's more about a person and an event and a thing, it's it's about it's like it's almost like it could be expressed in a a meaty poem, <laughs> uh, not a not a tiny poem, but a nice chunk. Then it's probably a movie or a play. Uh, it's something that you could convey in the span it takes for a bladder to fill up and before it needs to be drained <laughs> you know that's metaphor that's how, of the year right there <laughs> well listen that's what we're doing you 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 want people to like they're going to a theater uh, you don't you want it to be over before they have to go pee because then they're going to step on someone's toes in the theater <laughs> or they'll miss it's something so, it's so specific and true and beautiful Honestly, and tr like, it's just, yes, that is it. You want them to stay in their seat and not get up and go pee in the middle of it. You want to hold yeah. them hostage with your storytelling. Yeah. Now, if you think, if you think it's a situation, well, I mean, listen, they name some situation comedy, you know what I mean? Like it's, they're aware TV's aware. Like if you, if it's more of a situation that feels complex and fruitful and renewing, uh, like you can think about a season three where you don't have to like have people start killing each other and getting pregnant. Like there's more to it than that. Then it's, it could be a TV series. And then now there's this great in between, which I've done a, a couple of times now, which is the limited series, um, which gives you, you know, uh, some more bathroom breaks between big story ideas, weeks between sometimes, depending on how people devour it. And, um, yeah, and and I I've been in that world a lot lately. Uh, well, in the past, really, like seven years between When We Rise Under the Banner of Heaven, um, and I'm kind of not. Well, this is I don't know what my agents will say to me when they hear this, but I don't want to do another one of those for a while. Um, I'm sort of like 
uh, uh, feeling. I, you didn't even ask me this. Now this is therapy. But I, I think uh, I, uh, I, I think I either want to do like a a poem. Some like like to me, milk was a poem. It had a really. It was a small kernel, a small idea that was very powerful to me, to me, and and I kind of want to do one of those again. And if not that, then I want to do a series that just go on forever. Um, and I can keep playing with these characters and these people and these situations and, and see if I can't keep drawing out, you know, uh, well, this it's a series. The series I'm working on now really begs the question of whether life has purpose, meaning. It's about these true story about these youngsters who... Um, because of the situation they're in at 15, 16, 17, are having midlife existential crises. Um, and it's, and it's, it's, it feels boundless. It feels endless. Uh, so I sort of want to dig into that. And I couldn't do that with a miniseries. Not, right. not well. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm curious. I'm giving you really long answers. I'm going to eat up all your time it. before you have to blast. No, I love this. I, right. When you say uh, like a meaty poem, um, I can't believe uh, I said that. That's the worst. That's the worst pairing. A meaty poem. Okay. <laughs> okay. Disgusting. When you're it when you're looking gross. at a, a feature idea, right? Yes. Um, you know, like each writer is going to have a different relationship to that subject matter, to those themes, to their personal experience and connection. So, like, how do you decide? I I think if you start asking your first of all, there are some stories where you know the beginning, middle, and end. And if you know the end, it's probably a feature already, right? Um, and 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 you kind of know the size of the story uh, because you know what it is you want to say. Um, um, you cannot live on hope alone, but without hope, life is not worth living. So you and you and you, you got to give them hope. That's all I wanted to do with that movie. That's a feature. That's not a series. It would get very dull. Um, and 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 so. You know, uh, but but big love. Bill Paxson's married to three wives, and they're all in love, and they're trying to create a family that can survive the jealousy and conflicts. Well, that's a situation. That's a situation. So, um, yeah, I think it's a. There's a little bit of a gut check. And and okay. and the thing that I aspire to do and fail at, I'll fail at all the time is making sure that early on I'm not uh, trying to do too much so that I have the time to go as slow as I need to and as deep as I want to. Um, and perhaps, I mean, it's happened un under the banner of heaven started as a, a feature film and it was the first drafts were like 200 pages. And I, you know, it was just, it, it felt like a trailer when you read those scripts, there's just little bits of things happening. And, and, and actually it was Brian Grazier who, called me up after I'd set it aside for years and said, Hey, the mini series is a thing again. Do you think if you had, you know, six hours to 10 hours, could you do it? And I was like, yes, then I could actually do it. And even then I ran out of time. How was it working on that project, right? If you wrote this big feature and you set it aside, you came back to it. It, it seems like it comes from a very personal, painful place, or you had to connect to some of your personal experiences. What was that like in terms of um, being able to access that stuff, we make, we talk about it as lava on the show, mm. um, but not but not burn yourself, right? What what sort of barriers or guards do you have in place to to know when you're going too deep, and to pull yourself back out? Mm. 
I went too deep on on Banner. And I'd never done that before. It's so interesting. I'd never even thought about that. But um, I did. Uh, I mean, Grant, we also shot it very, very quickly. Um, and we went into production in July of 2021. And it was on air by April of 2022. It wasn't even a year and eight hours. Of, and um, and it was like you said, it was all incredibly personal. I mean, it's about my childhood faith. And unlike Big Love, it's it was confronting um, what I had to survive in the Mormon faith, which was, uh, you know, the the horrific um, uh, sort of patriarchal structure that that exerts force and violence upon all of the women inside of it. And I saw that happen to my mom repeatedly. Um, and I saw my mom almost lose her life um, in that system. And here was a story about a, a woman who did. And and I do, you know, I do all of my own research and I insist upon firsthand sources and multiple firsthand sources. And so I got to know Brenda Wright's family very well. Um, and I also went and spent time in prison with uh, the surviving murderer. Uh, with the the family, uh, the the Lafferty family, and members of that family, and that's a little terrifying and quite dark. And uh, and it took, I guess, by June, all the episodes were um, finished and airing, and I uh, did not really feel any excitement. Really, just terror at wanting at 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 the idea of creating anything else uh, for some time. So it's only been in the past few weeks, really, that I kind of went, oh, I'd like to, oh, I have an idea. What about this? You know, that had all died. I had extinguished it. So I guess it's like a burnout. I had burnout. Uh, yeah, it got a bit too close, a bit too close to home. And then you, you do, do then you do personalize everything that happens on the other side. And thankfully that show was well-received. Uh, but even even still, I, I deeply personalized other people's opinions of it, which is what I've I tell myself constantly not to do, and and I I did that. It was a big mistake. Yeah, but how, it's so hard not to do that. I mean, it is part of you that's out there, and especially in this case, I, I just think the power of the show uh, is what you brought to it, and the questions that are being asked and put it on a shelf, and you know, it's just. The, the power of that um, investigation, emotional investigation into it and exposing those layers is it's so, so powerful. And I hear you that it took a it took a toll on you, but we're also lucky uh, to be able to experience it. Um, I was watching it with my husband, who was born in a fundamentalist uh, household. Oh. He just kept going. Oh my God, he's doing it. He's doing it. This is amazing. This is amazing. He felt so seen. Uh, he was not. He's not um, Mormon, but the fundamentalism and the patriarchal structure. So it really, it's an incredible, an incredible gift to all of us. So thank you for making it and going through that law before oh, us. Thanks. Yeah, no, I've heard that a lot from people who grew up in other fundamentalist sort of faiths or, or even they're in constitutionally, constitutional fundamentalist homes, like pro-gun homes and all that, and that they've seen real similarities. I mean, if you're looking to the past for inspiration of the future, you're fucking it up. And that's what they're doing. That's what they do. 
Now, as a true story, and I and I and I believe we talked about this the last panel that we were on. You know, how do you approach a true story? I I believe you said something to the effect of, it, you need you can bend it, but don't break it. Can you talk a oh, little yeah. approaching true life uh, events or people? I mean, that's my <clears throat> listen. That's my opinion. Uh, Oliver Stone will disagree, um, but I and I think it's also because I I make. I make different kinds of true story uh, shows when I do true stories. And, and it's usually because I think there is something from history that is instructive. Um, we don't want to recreate it, but there's something in there that's instructive, something we've lost or something we don't want to repeat. And, and so I think, well, if I want that message to resonate, if I want it to get out there and I want people to go, wow, this happened. Because there's power in that. You know, it's easier to dismiss something that's fiction. I, it doesn't mean that's right that people do that, but they do. They go, ah, it didn't really happen. But when they feel like it really happened, when a viewer does, um, they might lean in. They might take note. They might might even change a little bit of the way they think. Um, now, if you've changed it so much that you, you know, compromise its authenticity, its integrity, um, well, you lose that power. And then you might lose the opportunity for it to be instructive or helpful uh, as a, you know, you drop this little chaos bomb of a movie into the culture. Um, you know, the idea is you hope it blows some things apart so that they can come back together a little better. And and I don't want to lose that power because I thought, hey, wouldn't it be cool if so-and-so did this on page 35? Well, they didn't do that. They didn't do anything like that. But every artist who does true life work has to determine what does it mean? How far can you bend it before it breaks? Because it's all fiction. You know, these people didn't live their lives. These things didn't happen in 120 minutes or 90 minutes or whatever you've got. So you're already lying. But how 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 far can you stretch the truth or in you know or bend the truth um, uh, before it does snap? And that's up to each individual. I I like to say that I want to keep people's intention pure. Um, you know, if someone's intention was to get in a car and draw, or, you know, to go from New York to California to do X, Y, and Z, well, it might not matter terrifically if they're in a car or a plane or a boat or what, like I, I'm not, if that's not consequential to their intention, if it doesn't change it in any way, I'm not going to worry about it too much. If that sort of makes the narrative cleaner so I can get it done faster, maybe I'll change a little something like that or combine characters. That's a big one. It's a better example, actually. Like, you know, they, it was actually three people who did this thing. Two of them are very similar and it's not really additive. So I might just combine those two and it's two people um, and it's going to be cleaner, clearer, faster. And I apologize to the people in history who I've left out. Uh, I've had to apologize a lot for that. But combining characters and then telescoping timeline. You know, you got to do it. And so what are you going to leave out? And leaving things out is also fictionalization. And um, and again, have I changed the spirit of it? Have I changed someone's intention? Is it dishonest about someone's intention? Um, you know, it might. it's not going to be what they said, most likely. It's not going to be exactly what they did or where they did it. Uh, but is it is it true to who they are and what the intention was? And then I feel good about it. But you can look at Oliver Stone and some of his films are wildly entertaining and he doesn't give a rat's ass. He's got people doing things they never did and they never even had that intention. But it's entertaining and that's what he wants and fine. 
but I don't think people are going to write future legislation based on what they learned from an Oliver Stone film. I do, I have seen people write legislation um, based on some of the work that me and the folks who do the stuff like I do, um, you know, I put out there, so. And thank you for that. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, just incredible. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Can I ask, is that okay, Meg, if I hop in? I was just gonna say connected to that idea, Dustin, one thing I love about your work is it always defies cliche. And you're working in genres that are sometimes riddled with cliche, like biopics and crime series. The bad versions of those feel like something we've seen a million times. And it seems like mm. you have this allergy to writing something that feels cliche. Like there's always nuance. There's always something surprising. Is that multiple drafts? Is that, can you talk about like the actual process of getting on the page and like working, digging through the tropes we're used to seeing in these genres and finding something nuanced and interesting and surprising? I have a few critics I'd like you to call for me <laughs> have a conversation <laughs> with. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, um, do you know what's funny? And then I'm going to answer your question. But I, I, I had been, I had been nominated for a Critics' Choice Award like 14 years ago, and I just got nominated for one again recently. And I went to the, congrats, I went to by the, the way. Thanks. I went to the dinner, and I had, I had, I had created in my head over all these years these ghoulish versions of these horrible people who live in these windowless basements and eat my lovely lovely little words alive and then you get there and most of them are really funny really charming really warm and you're like Fuck, i can't even hate them i can't even hate them anymore i don't know if you've gone to that <laughs> yeah I, yes. I was like oh shit um i mean there were a couple assholes but uh, but we won't name those names um <laughs> The, the uh for me, I uh I don't I I don't know. I mean I think if you know cliche is 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 often something you see when someone has borrowed, right? And we are we're always borrowing things, you know. We've seen it, we're gonna remember it, it's gonna influence things. But there are people who really directly borrow. And for me personally, um research is kind of a cure for uh you know having anything feel derivative or tropey or um and so i really love the research and research doesn't have to be like just on your computer or in a library or microfiche or um one of my you know it can be traveling to the country meeting people having dinners and trying to learn the language you know uh uh, it can be the interview process and meeting and talking with as many people as possible. One of my favorites to get around dialogue uh, tropes, and um, particularly if, like, if you're doing an investigation detective show, because it's, by the way, they do say all those things all the time. That's part of the problem. But if you get two or three together in a room, so I had a few police officers who were of a certain age in Los Angeles who weren't a part of the case, but I just got them talking about it. And, and I recorded it. It was on Zoom um, uh, because this was during like lockdown time. And they just start using all this great language that I've never heard before. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, I've discovered the treasure chest. I've cracked it open. Here they are. And, you know, now the old tropey stuff that you thought was good, but you'd heard from somewhere else doesn't seem as good anymore. Now you got all this cool new stuff, new toys. Um, and that's part, you know, part of the wonder of language is it's not static. I don't know how you guys feel, but it feels like the English language is changing so rapidly right now, maybe oh, right because now. of social media and TikTok. Like, 
like I'm about to start writing this new show and the average age of the characters is like 17, 18. And I'm like, I don't even know if I speak that language. I'm going to have to go, you know, take a language class. Uh, There's a and- woman on TikTok who does if Gen Z taught history. Mm-hmm. Um, it is so funny. I don't is it- I, like she's talking about the start of World War One, you know, and it's so like the language I can kind of get what's going on because I know what happened, but just the words and the word choices and uses, I love it. Uh, like, it's right, so fun. I'll see if I can find it and send it to you. But it's uh, like, I don't even, you know, how someone is sus and, you know, some of the things I can think of. It's great. I mean, it's yeah. super fun, but like, I, I'm not sure I can write that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, we got it. You know, we're going to have to. We're going to yeah. have to. Because that's what and the- I write. And I'm working on a YA project too. So I'm like, I gotta have to, I don't have to figure well, it's this tricky, out. Right. Because um, you also don't want to be, I mean, I'm, I don't know, Dustin, you might, I mean, Lance, you might disagree, but um, you don't want to be so timely that it ages it either. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, like if you did that, like it's every other word is a current day word, you know, in 10 years, will anybody understand it either? I don't know. I just, uh, it's tricky, right? Isn't it a balance? Uh, Yeah. I'm sure. I don't know. Get back to me in like a few weeks when I finish a draft and I'll tell you what I think. (laughs) I, uh, I don't know. Cause I I love Valley girl. I still love Valley girl. Like, you know, I, I think there's, I think there's, there's like, um, there's slang and then there's language developing, you know, and you start to see, like when you say sus, that's probably slang and that'll change, you know, over whatever the next decade or so in a new generation. But then there's also just the way people use words and, truncate sentences that is starting to feel more like language you go okay all right um but long long story short i think um that re that kind of research um will keep you hopefully from writing the things we've all seen and loved before and we often i don't think most writers do it on purpose um but we end up doing that uh, and borrowing, stealing inadvertently. And uh, and so research can cure that. And people dig it. I think people like, they go, oh, wow, I'm really getting into this new world. If that's what the film or TV show is about, like this kind of, uh, this world. So one of the last questions I wanted to ask you, because we did ask our listeners and some of these questions are coming from that. And one listener, Patrice asked, um, can you offer tips or advice on what to do when you get discouraged with your writing? Which I thought was a great question. Yeah, I, um, well, that happens to me a lot. Uh, it, it, uh, it, it, it probably happens most often when you think you've had a really good day or week and then you go, you know what, I'm going to go back and read it from the top. Oh man. Are you threatening me? Because I've had this great week <laughs> writing. Yeah. And now today I'm actually doing a practice pitch of the material with the exec. So here we go. <laughs> but I I I think the thing uh I think the thing I try to remember, and it's been it's what was so great about cutting my teeth in a writer's room as opposed to starting, I didn't start as a feature writer. Um and in a writer's room, you very quickly realize it can always get better. Like it's just, and and you have to like tell yourself, even if that wasn't true, which I think it is, I do think it's true. You have to tell yourself that's true because you're in a fast moving room 
And there's these brilliant minds in that room, you know, especially in the situation I walked into where I was, everybody had an Emmy, but me, I was like still waiting to turn 30. And like, they were, they were moving and you realize, oh, okay. All right. Writing isn't about putting onto the page what you hoped for in your mind when you first had the idea. It, writing is much more of like an evolution, one-upping yourself, being playful enough to like experiment and mess it up again and trust that you could put it back together if you had to. So that like, if you're getting discouraged, you might be lying to yourself and saying, oh, at the end of the rainbow is this perfect finished script. I, I, I think one of the, and I learned that in, um, in that first writer's room and I learned to love it. I learned that it can be really fun, intimidating, but there's nothing better in the world than when everyone's way ahead of you and they're moving and you're feeling lost and you're treading water and then you get an idea and you say it and the whole room goes, yes, there is no better feeling in the world. And what you never did to get to that moment is to say what we had was good enough. And, and so that, that's, I miss that so much. Um, and, and Meg, when you were describing the way you guys work at Pixar, it sounds like that, which is why I'm going to be applying for a job. I'll send my resume just after this. <laughs> it um, is like that. It is like that. It's so terrifying and challenging and fun and gratifying. And at the end of the day, it's still not done. And I remember, I remember hearing, I don't know if this is true, that, um, that a Martin Scorsese film isn't done until a producer or studio or whatever can finally get in there and just take it away from him. He says, I'm done when they take it away from me. So he's never done. That's, That's what it was like at Pixar. Yeah. yeah. You just yeah. look up director, to the minute. Yeah. Yeah. Even Nora, who directed My Father's Dragon, said in the screening of the, you know, the premiere, she was like, oh, I should have cut that. And I should have. Yeah. Like, it's always going to happen. It's always going to happen. This has been so amazing to have you here. Um, we're going to have to have you back because we didn't even get, I mean, there's so many things I want to ask you, but so I might be knocking on your door to come back again. Um, but uh -huh. I wanted to wrap it up with, uh, we always ask our guests the same three questions. The first is, um, what brings you the most joy when it comes to your writing? Uh, well, this is a silly little thing, but the most just pure joy is um do you ever write something that um it's especially if you're moving fast and you have a page that doesn't have a lot of words but there's like a pitter patter and a rhythm and you're like it's going it's like jazz and you just like and that lands and then you read it the next day and it's still jazz and you're like fuck yes that brings you joy i love it yeah i love it all uh, right so what pisses you off about writing Uh, well, the, I think this is the, the hardest thing for me about writing is sometimes I'll work on something that's so specific and so personal that it probably should have been a book because those work better in niche, niche audiences. And I'll have something I've built and worked on and love so much and want to see it made. And it's just too small an audience. And no one wants to make it. And uh, you go, okay, 
I could keep working. It's that moment where you have to pull the ripcord and go, I could work on that forever and make it so magnificent. And it's still those 10 people are going to love it. And you go, oh man, okay, maybe that should be a book first. By the way, then go do the book because then they're going to love the book and then you can make the movie. There you but go. Until, yeah. yeah. Until then, yeah. there's that frustrating moment. And then the last thing, uh, Lance, is if you could be remembered for one scene that you've written, what would that scene be and why? Oh, God. Oh, my God. Such an easy question, right? <laughs> no, that's incredible. I, uh, I probably should have read these questions. That is a really big one. Does any, Can anyone give me any inspiration? Mag, do you have one? You know I love your films. Do I have one of yours? No, of uh, yours. Mine. Uh, when Riley comes home and tells her parents, you want me to be happy, but I'm not. Because it's, oh, it's what I wanted I, to say when I was 11 years old. I can tell you some for that I love of yours if you want me to. I can. I, I can. Really? I just, I don't, can I, I, I I'm going to pick something. But I also, um. And maybe I sound like a, a dick when I say this, but I, I've only ever watched my projects once, maybe twice after they're done. So I, because I'm never happy with it. Um, but probably the most, you know, I mean, listen, this shouldn't come as a surprise. Probably the thing that um, I wrote that felt like the necessary thing I needed to write in my life, and I hope I have more of these, was. Uh, was definitely milk. Um, and there, I'm just trying to think of a, there, there was always, I wondered if we could pull off the trick of killing our beloved main character and to construct something in a bit of a, a montage with Void. Like, could I construct something where it's still hopeful at the end of this horror. And there's a wonderful documentary made about Harvey, but it goes all the way through the trial and you're just even more horrified. Same with the book. And I, and that's when I thought, what if I, what if I bring him back to life? Cause he made that cassette tape. What if I just bring him back to life the way he must've felt like he was alive again when they found the tape and played it. And so it's, it's really simple. And in fact, I didn't write most of the words because he did in that, but I put it all together in that spot with a, a sentiment that he had felt he had never, wasn't going to amount to anything by the time he was 50 and in fact, never saw 50. And so that moment in the movie, I remember watching early cuts with just a group of people to kind of test it out and you could just feel it hit him in the chest. He's still there. There's something about life that lives past, uh, you know, the moment that our heart stops beating. There's something we leave and it can be as powerful as you make it. And, and I thought that the fact that that worked felt like magic to me. I wanted it to work. It worked in my brain. It worked on the page when I read it, but there were going to be actors and directors and producers and, you know, and, and the weather and whatever else was going to come down on us in those weeks. And so as a screenwriter to see that it actually fucking worked, that was magic. So probably it's not really a scene, it's a little sequence, but the fact that it, that worked and I didn't just leave people in misery, but gave them a little hope 
That was special for me. Well, this has been magic. Beautiful film. I'll speak for myself. Speaking with you today has been magic. Um, We're so, so lucky. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Uh, I I love it. I want to do it every week. Okay. (laughs) Careful. Okay. I'll I'll make make some more. This is awesome. All right, guys. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lance. We'll see ya. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Well, that's a great way to end the episode. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. And if you haven't joined yet, uh, come on over to the TSL Facebook group. Uh, It's really fun to chat with everybody and sort of make connections. We also have some amazing Patreon workshops, including a mock writer's room with friend of the show, Sean Prezant. Uh, If you've ever wanted to experience the day-to-day mechanics of a TV writer's room, come on over to the Patreon. And uh, remember, you are not alone and keep writing. Thanks for tuning in to The Screenwriting Life. We love our community and we want to get to know you even better. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash thescreenwritinglife or email us at thescreenwritinglife at gmail.com to have your question considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also, we'd love for you to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if we don't read your review on air, trust me, we have read it, and not only does it mean the world to us, but it helps other people find the show. We've always been driven by mission and mentorship, and reviewing our show helps expand that mission. And of course, until next Sunday, happy writing.